train it like it's your newest team member. Train the tool to fill the gap where a human should be, but not in place of a human. So until you can actually get a human in the space, train the AI tool to fit in that space. Hey, my name is Mallory, and I'm obsessed with helping leaders in the nonprofit space raise money and run their organizations differently. What the Fundraising is a space for real and raw conversations to both challenge and inspire you. Not too long ago, I was in your shoes, uncomfortable with fundraising and unsure of my place in this sector. It wasn't until I started to listen to other experts outside of the fundraising space that I was able to shift my mindset and ultimately shift the way I show up as a leader. This podcast is my way of blending professional and personal development so we as a collective inside the nonprofit sector can feel good about the work we are doing. Join me every week as I interview some of the brightest minds in the personal and professional development space to help you fundamentally change the way you lead and fundraise. I hope you enjoy this episode, so let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today with Sharice Floyd. Sharice, welcome to What the Fundraising. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. Let's start with you just telling everyone a little bit about your work and what you're focusing on right now in your work, and then we'll dive into our juicy conversation. <laughs> Yeah, sure. My work is twofold. I am a women's leadership consultant. Um, I work primarily with women on um, developing they thought, their thought leadership in um, the nonprofit sector and in for-profit sectors as well. And I'm also the founder of AI Consultants for Nonprofits, which is a women-led consultancy for nonprofits in tech and get nonprofits to use AI more responsibly. Amazing. And that, I think, is what we're going to dig into today in particular. And I'm just curious, can we start with when did you start becoming particularly interested in the use of AI in nonprofit leadership, maybe even in fundraising in particular? And mm -hmm. uh, and how did you start to dip your toe into that? I had a position. I was doing work twofold in my consultancy. I was also working in-house um, as a director of marketing. And I was working for an organization where grant writing was initially outsourced and it came into the office. And because mm -hmm. I had marketing and development in my title, it landed on me. And I will say that I had never written a grant before. I had always been in the fun work fundraising world, when you're a marketing professional, you're always fundraising adjacent. That's just how it is. But grant writing was something completely different. And I was writing grants and actually they were horrible. I had never mm -hmm. written a grant before ever. They were absolutely horrible. I have been using AI for my own personal use outside of this role. And I just on a whim one day just asked it, could it write me a grant? And I just put that question mm -hmm. in just kind of casually and it kicked back this whole thing. And, and it was generic, but I was like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is right in front of me. And so I started to spend a lot of time with it, learning it, naming it, ended up putting, you know, information in it to kind of teach me how to be a grant writer. So mm. instead of me actually learning it, learning how to write grants from a person, I learned it from AI. And then mm. I used it to help me to be able to be able to produce grants at a faster speed. And the, at the last time that I checked, there were about $400,000 worth of grants that were funded 
which were about 70 to 80% written with AI. Wow. Okay. And so beyond the grant writing side of things, which also when I think about what are the ways I would have used AI if I was still in-house right now, I mean, Mm -hmm. definitely the grant writing side of things is at the very top of my list, particularly around word count, um, because Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. like that's one of the biggest challenges in different grant applications is trying Mm -hmm. to say the same thing in 250 words that you said in a thousand words. And um, so I love, I love the the support that, that AI can provide there. What are other Mm -hmm. ways, or actually let's talk about that related to grants in particular first, when you think about the, the ethical and responsible use of AI for something mm-hmm. like grant writing, what's at the top of your list in terms of how you're thinking about that? It's definitely not using private data. Um, we, we still don't. We don't know where this data is going. But the way that I have thought about it is that if it's information that is already on a website or in social media, that's already in the public domain, it's already in the public domain. Mm-hmm. But when you're writing grants, in terms of putting together a budget and getting really, really specific with back details. Mm. Those types of things are, when I say 80% written, you're going to have to fill in the 20% with the things that you really shouldn't put in because we really don't know where the data is going. Um, Mm -hmm. So that would be the main concern. Like privacy has to be paramount, not using people's names, not putting in your actual financials, being very, very clear about sensitive information, just, you know, keeping it as benign as possible, but still being able to get the result that you need from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so when, yeah, absolutely, like hands down, first things first, no private data being yeah. entered into <laughs> any of these tools, unless they are, especially these like public tools, right? There's AI, of mm-hmm. course, that's integrated into a lot of your contact management software and things like that, where it is being exposed to private Mm -hmm. data. And in that case, it's really ensuring that you're working with an ethical partner who has their own guardrails around Mm -hmm. um, how that data is being processed and secured and all of those things. But as AI tools become more kind of publicly accessible and are tools outside of our typical kind of like data housing spaces, it becomes increasingly important that we are sensitive to data privacy concerns and things like that. Do you find Mm -hmm. that because of, you know, the term black box is used so much when it comes to AI and I Mm -hmm. see the overwhelm for fundraisers in just technology in general, but then like AI feeling like this other kind of shiny object or distraction and and then feeling like there's so much, just like you said, you know, we don't know where this data is going. I mean, there's so much we don't understand about how AI is even creating necessarily some of the suggestions that it's creating. How mm-hmm. do you help nonprofit leaders who are already really overwhelmed in general, then also overwhelmed with technology <laughs> to, to dip their toe in and make sure that they are prioritizing, you know, the like responsible use, but also not, not feeling so overwhelmed that they don't take any action? I work with them. The thing that I always like to say to them is to train it like it's your newest team member. We know that nonprofits Mm. are already, there's never enough time in nonprofit world. It's never enough time. And there's always usually a gap 
in capacity somewhere and to Mm -hmm. train the tool to fill the gap where a human should be, but not in place of a human. So Mm. until you can actually get a human in the space, train the AI tool to fit in that space. And being very clear about how AI is going to be used because it can do so far almost anything that you ask of it from writing code to all kinds of things. Um, It really can read financial information if you went that far. I don't I don't recommend that you do, but it kind of, it can do almost anything. And so the challenge is that once you have a tool that is faster than humans are, Mm. there is this, this hole that you can fall into because now you can produce stuff faster. You now request more of people and you want to be very, very cautious of that. The tool is to help fill the gap, but not create more demand on the people that are there. And so that is really one of the biggest things when I when I talk about how to use it responsibly. The the goal is not to burn out the people that are there because there is a robot of sorts that can do it three to four times faster, maybe even faster than that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so the there's this piece around productivity, right? Increasing productivity and the role the AI can play in supporting fundraisers. And yes, the time scarcity in our sector. I mean, the <laughs> scarcity that we feel around everything, but the time scarcity in particular, you know, is is something we see talked about so much. So then it it begs this sort of curious question for me around, I also think there's this fear that like AI is going to take our jobs. And so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, and to me, I'm like, you guys, you're already, aren't we trying to wear less hats? Like, aren't we trying to like, actually, we're already four people. So what if AI took one of those people? Wouldn't that be good? How do you think about that side of things? I don't think AI can take a job per se, because it's not independent. It's not, well, depending on what type of AI you're talking about, we're talking specifically about generative AI, like your chat GPTs and your bar quads and and being tools like that. I don't see it necessarily as replacing jobs per se, because somebody has to be trained to use it. I don't think AI will replace humans But I think there is the likelihood that a human who is versed in AI could replace a human that is not. And that is why it's important that we learn it. We're all learning. We're all starting at ground zero. It's a very new tool, but it's also moving very quickly. So the slower that we are to get on board, we can already feel like we're being left behind. It changes so very rapidly. So in terms of job security, if there is such a thing, learning it can help your resume overall to be able to learn how to prompt it and to be able to use it effectively. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really interesting point. And what would you say to the person, which like this was totally me, 
who, like, what do you find to be the difference between the use of AI, maybe particularly generative AI, and other tech tools? Like, I was certainly the nonprofit leader who didn't feel particularly tech literate, felt really overwhelmed by the technology, would have never called myself a technologist, always needed support around those things. I find mm-hmm. myself personally to be much more capable of utilizing AI than I am other tech tools. And so I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, but I know it all can feel the same when you're thinking about starting to use these things. So how do you Mm -hmm. help folks navigate that piece of the the overwhelm puzzle and maybe the limiting beliefs around their ability to learn it? Yeah, I think because AI has been in our life already, um, we've been using those tools already with Siri and Alexa and the predictive text in our Gmails and and even Canva, uh, we have been using AI in our world already. The generative AI tools just made it seem like, oh my God, this is huge. (laughs) But I will say generative AI tools are so very easy to get into of all types of technology. This is the one that it's really easy because it does mimic the way that humans think. It doesn't, as we know, have emotion. It doesn't have human nuance, which is why the computer will probably probably not replace real humans. Um, but it's so easy. And so when you think of it truly, as I say, as your newest team member, you can talk to it and treat it as you will, as you would a human person. Just conversationally is one of the best ways to get the information out of it that you need. And so whatever you ask it and put into it, it's going to be very literal in terms of what it gives you back. But as soon as you can finesse how you talk to it, you can get what you need out of it. And it's so it's so very easy. It's one of the easiest ways to start being tech savvy. And I agree with you. I would never have considered myself a woman in tech. I mean, I've always loved <laughs> tech in general, but now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a woman in tech. Okay. <laughs> and it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. And so I'm curious, like, what are the what are the things you feel the most nervous about when it comes to the use of AI in fundraising? Like where are your sort of like red flags or you know, not necessarily what individual fundraisers need to be looking out for, but in terms of Mm -hmm. some of the sector implications. What scares me about it is some of the data that comes out of it is not true. It will literally make up stuff for you. It it truly, I mean, it's, that's what it's designed to do, but I mean, like really, really lie, make up stuff. Um, Some of the stuff that you get out of it is not true. And so I was working with one organization around putting together a case for support. And at that time, they did not have appropriate stats for their service area. So as we were playing around with AI, it gave us some really incredible stats. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But once we took them into Google and tried to find them, they did not exist. So the tool itself hallucinates is what we call AI hallucination. It'll, it'll give you stuff that's not actually there. It'll make up what it thinks that you want to know. And it'll do it quite 
convincingly, <laughs> so to speak. So that scares me because the data is not really true. If you're using AI to help in fundraising in terms of how you are prospecting and how you are getting in front of donors, because it can give you like a whole script, it can give you the things that people value, it can give you how to open the door to different donors. It worries me that some of the stuff in it obviously is not true. There's bias built into it. And then it takes out the kind of personalization of it. The more you use the tool, you can see that it starts articles in the same way, which is now how I'm able to say, oh, that's AI, that's AI. Or it, it gives you a lot of fluff. But that mm-hmm. that's the thing that bothers me. It's not always factual. And mm-hmm. I would hate for people to just plug it in, take it out and then run with it in the world. And it's not, it's not factual. Yeah. 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 I'm really glad. I'm really glad you said that. What do you think about, like when you think about content creation with AI and generative AI beyond, beyond the grant writing component, but just in terms Mm -hmm. of their communication with donors or social communication, like how, I don't know. I feel like there's always this, like, this conflict a little bit between quality and consistency and Mm -hmm. that nonprofits get hammered a lot for being consistent. And we Mm -hmm. do too, as creators Mm -hmm. and consultants Mm -hmm. and all those things. And sometimes I feel like we're, we're caught in this trade-off of like, okay, I can be more consistent, but the quality is going to decrease. And I feel Mm -hmm. like AI is this tool that can really like, like, be inserted into that gap to create consistency, but actually not always quality. Um, Mm -hmm. And so how do you think about that prioritization of, yes, it gives us this capacity for more, 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 but like, at what point is that what we want? And is that the right choice? And how do we decide where and when? Yeah. Yeah, I love this question because we're all on information overload. It is, it's insane the amount of stuff that we filter through every day, all day. But when we're talking about quality versus quantity, content creation is one of the top things that people always ask. Like, how can, can I do my social media? Social media is the one job that nobody wants, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, can it do? Like, yes, it can. But now you've got tons and tons of stuff that you can use. You've got more stuff, you know, you've got more ideas than there are days in a year now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, using AI. But I think in terms of quality, getting the best quality out of it is going to be training it to actually think and assess information in the voice and style of the nonprofit. Because Mm. if you are in just, if you're just putting out generic content based on whatever mission that you have, that you can actually take your name off of it and slap the other nonprofit's name on it down the street that actually does the same thing, then that just becomes posting for the sake of posting. But once you can train it to be very clear about your mission and not just your mission and values, but really who the persona is that you're serving This is like stuff that a lot of nonprofits don't do up front, who the actual persona is that you're serving and how to speak to that persona specifically. This Mm. is one area where AI can really help you shine in terms Mm. of knowing 
you know, wants, likes, you know, pain points, what brands that they use and all of that. AI can create that for you. Now your content sounds very high Mm. quality. And then Mm. adding in a smidge of thought leadership on top of that really does help you stand out quality wise versus just the generic things that we could post. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, like the new social media intern. But yes, so it's getting mm-hmm. done. You get to check that box. You get to feel good that you're doing it. But like, what's mm-hmm. the point? Like, what's right. the? Why are we doing it in the first place? And yeah, so I I love that. I love that prompt. What's the question that you've been asked about AI or the use of AI that you feel like is really important that I'm not asking here, but you feel like is really important for nonprofits to understand? I think just understanding that the implementation of AI is not just a matter of turning on the computer and start punching into it. Because like you said mm-hmm. earlier, it's a, it's a shiny object. And this is a shiny object that can waste so much time because mm-hmm. of all of the things that it can do. I think nonprofits have to be very specific before you sit down in front of a generative AI tool to know what it is that you want to create. What do you want to get from it? How do you want to plug it in? Not just for the sake of, let me just go to ChatGPT or whatever and see and see what's going on because you can spend hours kind of, you know, playing around with it, but using it in a very strategic way. Are you going to use it for emails? Are you going to use it for thank you letters? Are you going to use it for social media? All of this is great, but have some parameters around Mm. how it's going to be used. Have some parameters around when you truly need 100% human generated content or when you can supplement that content with AI. And Mm. if you come to the table with a plan in place before you sit down, I think that'll help you use it more effectively and or if you go to AI knowing specifically what you need it to do and get a plan from AI, then you can use that outside of the computer in a much more effective way. Okay. I love this because I talk about, I talk a lot about how I feel like in the nonprofit sector, we're often on tech defense, like Mm -hmm. where we get the marketing from technology companies that we need to be using, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then we enter into it with a should. And instead of a very proactive, like, what what problem is this solving for us and how and mm-hmm. why? And so I, I that is such important advice um, that mm-hmm. the purpose of using any technology, including AI, is not because other people are doing it and you just don't want to fall behind. And so you're going to just kind of jump in and mm-hmm. start to use it, but to be really intentional about what problems do we have that this tool has the ability to solve And where does the application of that make the most sense, given our time, capacity, pain points, et cetera, and be in that Mm -hmm. more sort of proactive, like offense position? Right. Yeah, it's definitely like we use so many tools in all of our lives, emails and the apps and the web and all of that. So to not put AI on this pedestal, like I have to or I should, as you say, or, you know, don't put it on the pedestal. It is along the lines with any other tool 
that you would use and think of it in that way. And then how would you integrate it? Now it's, it's, it's a free tool, which I'm like, usually you've got to think about what you're going to spend money mm. on. It. it It does have a paid piece to it, but uh, any nonprofit, you can make up the rules to whatever tools you want to use or not use. It's completely mm-hmm. up to you, but don't put it on a pedestal. Like it's like, I have to, I have to, I have to evaluate it. Like you would evaluate anything else. Mm-hmm. And maybe the one, I mean, I'm curious what you think about this. You know, I agree with, like, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think one of the reasons I've been saying I don't see it as much as a shiny object, although particular tools can be, but it's like, mm-hmm. it, there is no choice here. Like to your point before, mm-hmm. we are, you already are using AI. You're using mm-hmm. AI in Canva. You're using it in your email. You're using it in all these other ways, whether we realize mm-hmm. it or not. And so there is for me this like kind of ethical, responsible awareness that everybody needs to be thinking about because Mm -hmm. these tools are already integrated into our life. And then when you Mm -hmm. think about the adoption of new tools, that's where we need to avoid or be careful around that kind of like shiny object syndrome, which is like how do these additional tools, like the, the goal is not to just saturate ourselves in as much AI as possible, you know, and <laughs> yes. I'm seeing all these like links on <laughs> or these posts on LinkedIn with like, here are the top like 35 AI tools to be using immediately. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? And so I think to your point around like, how do we identify, okay, here are the ways. And, and I think that lens of like, Think about for a second the AI tools that you're already using. Think about the ways that those already improve your improve your experience. Like there's a mm-hmm. reason why we all love Canva so much, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. like yes. we don't know. Like people, <laughs> I was in a meeting once where folks were talking about, you know, all the AI technology that nonprofits were using, and they were talking about all this like very specific fundraising technology. And I was like, I think the number one way nonprofits are using AI in terms of a new tool that they don't realize even is AI is Canva. And they were mm-hmm. like, yeah. That part. And yeah. so I think it's like thinking about <laughs> what are the tools that we love? How mm-hmm. is AI making us love those that maybe we didn't realize mm-hmm. before to also increase our confidence around our ability to use these tools in the first mm-hmm. place and then realize, okay, this needs to start with our evaluation of where are our pain points and what are the tools that do that. And then if AI is a piece of those tools, understanding the responsible and ethical use of that, because it is likely integrating in some way with sensitive information about our organizations. Absolutely. Canva is like the sleeper hit of AI. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. You guys do realize that generative AI has been inside of Canva for a little while now. (laughs) Mm. But yeah, it's like the sleeper hit that people are using and and don't really associate it because we heard AI and then we heard chat GPT and the two became synonymous. And it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, if you're talking about AI, this is what you're talking about. But Canva is such an amazing tool. It, It does all things. It's like, this a Swiss army knife as well. It's like, it's all the things. <laughs> yeah, totally. But totally. I say a really cool way that some nonprofits are using it is integrate or having it automate tasks, like the repetitive things that they do over and over. That is a really good way to 
have it function for you, like your admin staff mm. to have to, if you're, if you're doing thank you letters and you're sending a form thank you letter, we can have a whole nother show on why you probably mm. don't need to be sending a form thank you letter. But if you are, <laughs> mm-hmm. if you are, um, you can have those type of tasks, like automate it to kind of free up time. And so there's a number of things like we, we've said that you can do with this, but to just be responsible not only with the tool, but also with the time of your team. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Where can folks go? I know we're out of time. Where can folks go to connect with you, to learn more? Let's send them off uh, if they're interested in working with you. Let's tell them all the places to go. It's very simple. I'm under my name. Sharice Floyd is my website and Sharice Floyd on LinkedIn. Those are the only two places you'll find me. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all this wisdom. Um, I'm, I'm really grateful and I'm grateful that you're doing this work in our, for our community and that you're doing it with this particular orientation to like really understanding the experience of the nonprofit fundraiser and also the need for increased sensitivity around the donor data side of things too. So I'm really grateful. Thank you. It was great to be here. I hope today's episode inspired or challenged you to think differently. For additional takeaways, tips, show notes, and more about our amazing guests and sponsors, head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast. And if you didn't know, hosting this podcast isn't the only thing I do. Every day I coach, guide, and help fundraisers and leaders just like you inside of my program, The Power Partners Formula Collective. Inside the program, I share my methods, tools, and experiences that have helped me fundraise millions of dollars and feel good about myself in the process. To learn more about how I can help you, visit MalloryErickson.com backslash powerpartners. Last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd love to encourage you to share it with a friend you know would benefit or leave a review. I'm so grateful for all of you and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Hey you, I hope you're loving all the free value you're getting right now from our guest. And speaking of free value, I've raised millions in the nonprofit space without sacrificing my integrity or my alignment. And I'm sharing how I did it in my free webinar, how to harness the power of prioritization to raise more without burning out. Go to MalloryErickson.com backslash workshop to register for the free training right now. I cannot wait to see you there.